KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Monday, July 11th. Wastewater detects COVID variants in San Diego County. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The County Health Department is calling for increased vigilance as COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations are on the rise. Dr. Cameron Kaiser is a County Deputy Public Health Officer. He says the county is also seeing an increase in reinfections. Everybody's immunity wanes over time, whether you got it after an infection before, whether you got it after a vaccination. And Omicron is getting better at being able to get through people's ability to have immunity to it. Health officials say the best way to prevent more transmission and hospitalization is to get vaccinated, wear a mask in crowded spaces, and isolate from others when sick. San Diego's MTS is one step closer to transitioning to electric vehicles. The Public Transit Service received more than $33 million from the state Friday to help its efforts to transition to a zero-emission fleet by 2040. The money will also help MTS expand the 12th and Imperial Transit Center in downtown and make improvements to trolley stations along the Orange Line. The Ocean Beach Pier is now fully open for the first time this year. Repairs on the 55-year-old pier started in December to fix damage caused by high surf and storms. But the repairs that allowed the pier to reopen aren't enough. A recent report warns that the pier is in need of desperate rehabilitation. Estimates for the necessary fixes range from 30 to $50 million. The OB Pier is the second longest on the West Coast and attracts 500,000 visitors a year. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The highly contagious COVID variants called BA5 and BA4 now make up more than 50% of infections in San Diego. Researchers wouldn't know that without the help of wastewater surveillance. With this story, here's KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman. For the last couple of years, San Diego researchers have been checking sewage from treatment plants for COVID-19. It's proven to be an early indicator of when cases are coming, and a recent article published in the journal Nature details how that process can also quickly identify new variants. 
it showed that the wastewater surveillance preceded our discovery of variants in the clinical cases by two to three weeks. UC San Diego Health's Chief Information Officer, Dr. Christopher Longhurst, says sewage is collected at three treatment plants across the county. He says the data gathering isn't just faster than testing in clinics, it's also cheaper. Every one of our wastewater tests is in the, let's say, hundreds of dollars, whereas testing a clinical sample to find out, let's say, if I'm COVID positive, which genomic variant I'm carrying, it's much more expensive. The project is a collaboration between UC San Diego, Scripps Research, and state and local health departments. Researchers have presented the wastewater detection model directly to the CDC, and it's since been made publicly available. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. The city of San Diego is starting the process of firing about 10 more employees who refuse COVID vaccinations and tests. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser has been following the story. San Diego requires all employees to be vaccinated for COVID, but let about 1,000 employees skip the vaccine for religious reasons. Those employees then have to get tested weekly, but a small group refused that too. Records obtained by KPBS show the employees said testing violates their religious beliefs because the swabs are sterilized with a carcinogen. But medical and religious experts say those concerns are baseless. Now the city is starting the process of firing about 10 more employees, bringing the total to 52. That includes 20 police officers. The rest are from the Teamsters, Fire, and Municipal Employee Unions. This is the beginning of the process. The employees will still go through a negotiation with the city and their unions. Claire Tregesser, KPBS News. Meanwhile, hundreds of California National Guard troops will not be paid after a deadline passed without them being vaccinated. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh has that story. Roughly 87 percent of California Air and Army National Guard troops have been fully vaccinated for COVID-19. The Pentagon decreed that all Guard and Reserves must be vaccinated by June 30th. The National Guard is controlled by each state, but the federal government picks up most of the cost. Unvaccinated troops will not be paid or be allowed to accrue points toward retirement. They will not be able to participate in any federal mission or monthly training. They risk being removed from the Guard and being unable to re-enlist. More than 17,000 Guard troops have been fully vaccinated. Nine members of the Air National Guard received medical exemptions. By contrast, 98% of active duty troops are now vaccinated for COVID-19. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. The U.S. remains on edge after its latest high-profile mass shooting at a 4th of July parade in Chicago. Seven people were killed and many more injured. After mass shootings like the one in Chicago, we're left wondering why. Tage Rye is a professor at UC San Diego's Radio School of Management and co-author of the book, Virtuous Violence. He spoke with KPBS's Jade Heidman about that. So you recently spoke with the San Diego Union-Tribune reporter Gary Robbins, and in the article you questioned the often immediate labeling of mass shooters as mentally ill. Why do you think that's a concern? So first, we know that a very low percentage of uh, shootings in general and also mass shootings are committed by people uh, with diagnosable mental illness. 
So if we pursue policies that are really focused on that, one, they might not necessarily be effective. And two, what we know is they're just going to stigmatize people who are seeking mental health services. And your research into the causes of violence suggests there's often a deeper motivation for the perpetrators. Tell us more about that. I think part of the reason that we have this automatic reaction to say, well, a person uh, must be mentally ill to do this is on some level, it's kind of comforting to think that, well, no sort of rational, sane person would go out and kill a bunch of strangers as opposed to kind of trying to think through the possibility that actually there are people out there who have values and commitments that are going to drive them to this kind of action. But what we find when we look at violence across the world, not just mass shootings, but all sorts of violence, all sorts of killings, homicides, and everything else, is that most of the time when people hurt another human being, they're doing so because they think they have an obligation to do it. They think it's the right thing to do. They think that their social communities are going to praise them for it. And in a lot of cases, their particular communities will. So in the case of this shooter, the community we need to be thinking about is not necessarily uh, you or I. It's the kind of online right-wing extremist communities that he was floating in. Did your research find any potential tools to counteract these ideological ties uh, that you say can lead to some someone committing violence? When we're looking at something like mass shootings or just gun violence in particular, the approaches you want to take are sort of both kind of narrow and broad. On the broader level, we're really talking about changing these kinds of cultures that are feeding misogyny and racism and white supremacy to these uh, young shooters. And that's, that's a kind of you know, bigger endeavor that involves breaking into these sort of online communities and changing the messaging and changing what people believe is, is right in these places. Your research found that social pressure may be a key piece to combating these motivations. Can you tell us more about what your research experiments found there? In some of our experiments, what we found is that people who commit harm really care about whether they are signaling that they are committing harm for what they believe their community thinks are the right reasons. And if they think they will be seen as committing harm for the wrong reasons, then they don't want to do it anymore. Or if they think that their communities won't approve of their violent actions, then they're not going to want to do it as much anymore. And so really trying to communicate to people that 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 violence is not going to be acceptable is going to be key. And that means actually making it not acceptable within those communities. When we've seen successful community interventions, oftentimes it's been the case where people who are prone to violence are confronted by people in their community who are expressing them that they don't approve of what's going on. And that really does have an effect. What do you think the criminal justice system can take away from your research? I think what we've seen from you know my experiments, my research, and other people's is that uh, it's not going to be material incentives alone. So it's not going to be just punishments and jail time and fines or anything else. It's going to be a combination of material incentives and social incentives that people need to leverage peer pressure from their communities and change those actual social and cultural norms. And that's what's really going to have a big effect. Material incentives on their own just aren't disincentivizing to someone who believes that they're hurting others because it's the right thing to do in their minds. 
That was Tage Rye, assistant professor of management at UC San Diego's Rady School of Management and co-author of the book, Virtuous Violence, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host, Jade Heineman. Coming up, workers prefer flexibility over working from home. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. Don't go away. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. People who have served time in prison often face big obstacles when they get out. But there are several programs in San Diego County that aim to help make that transition a little easier. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado says there's a program that's using gardening to grow more than plants. Tomatoes are grown back there. We have all types of vegetables. There's nurseries and expansive gardens in places you might not expect. The men's East Mesa reentry facility in Otay Mesa. and at the Women's Las Colinas Detention Reentry Program in Santee. So right now we're just cleaning up off the dead stuff, off of the flowers. The people caring for the plants and vegetables are inmates with less than six months left in their sentences. Here, they're just students learning the art of horticulture, landscaping, and farm-to-table sustainable growing. Yeah, I'm going to plant them, so you see how they root it. Amazing, right? 38-year-old Pemberton Tran has become quite the expert in succulents. I'll cut the end of the other leaf, and then I'll just repot it. And 20-year-old Brianna from the Coachella Valley now considers herself a farmer. Never would I have thought, but I'm very glad that I am. (laughs) Francisco Quinteros is a supervising correctional counselor with the program. He says they're growing more than plants here they're helping people grow. We're investing in people here. So it's just really rewarding knowing that, you know, we're helping individuals that never got a chance um, in life. And now we're, you know, equipping them with the proper tools necessary to not come back. Tran can't believe he's become so skilled in such a short amount of time. This peaceful greenhouse is a sharp contrast from a life he's healing from. No, this is all new to me, you know, so I'm a, a combat veteran, and I came back feeling suicidal. I'm feeling really, really down and out, you know, and I I felt like no one understood. This program has been um, pretty much a safe haven for me. This program is a partnership between the San Diego Sheriff's Department and the San Diego County Parks and Recreation Department. When inmates complete the program, not only will they have the know-how and certification, they will also be given connections to land a job. Tran says in an odd way, it's given him freedom, not just in here, but on the outside too. This is uh, an option 
when I step out that door, at least I know I have this as an avenue of seeking employment. Brianna says she plans to take what she's learned and give back to her community. We have a community garden in Desert Hot Springs. I don't know how it's doing right now, but I would really love to do something and show what I learned. Her favorite thing to grow? I really like the flowers because the flowers are super resilient. They grow and they die and they just come right back and they're just, I love them. A perfect metaphor for second chances. Exactly what this program provides. When you fall, you should always get back up. And I think that getting back up isn't just, oh, okay, I'm going to try it again. No, it's you're going to find something that works for you. And I think that this works for me because it makes me mindful and it makes me genuinely happy. Over at East Mesa, Tran says back in the day, his mom would try to get him to garden with her. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I, I got stuff I need to do. But now he's looking forward to giving her a hug and a hand in the backyard. I only have my mom left. You know, my dad passed away last year. And um, I think this experience right here um, was meant to be, you know, for so when I get released, I'd be able to spend more quality time with her, you know, and um, maybe I could teach her a few things <laughs> or she could teach me a few things, you know. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. A group of Borrego Springs residents attended a hearing on Friday to try to convince a judge not to allow the placement of a sexually violent predator in their community. More from KPBS reporter John Carroll. I was in shock. That was the reaction from Borrego Springs resident Linda Arambula after reading on Facebook that the State Department of Hospitals is recommending sexually violent predator Michael Martinez be placed into a supervised home on Running M Road in Borrego Springs. Arambula, who lives two doors down from the proposed home, says putting Martinez in her neighborhood is inappropriate and frightening. We're going to be in, in fear. Like, where is he at? We don't know. Sometimes the internet um, gets down and electricity gets down and we're more vulnerable for him. Judge David Gill took the matter under consideration. He will visit the neighborhood in the near future to assess the situation for himself. It's expected he'll issue a decision within a few weeks. John Carroll, KPBS News. A new human resources company in San Diego is focused on helping businesses manage remote workers. They say the pandemic has shown them that flexibility matters more to employees than working from home. KPBS reporter Thomas Fudge has more. The startup company Amplisol was begun by three UC San Diego professors who were looking at changes in the workplace. Those changes had begun prior to the pandemic, but were accelerated when people were forced to work from home. Now that restrictions have eased, hybrid work models are the likely result. People don't want to be home all the time. They want a mix of at home and in the office. UCSD economics professor Joshua Graf-Ziven is one of the founders of Amplisol. He says workers are less concerned about where they work and more concerned about keeping the flexibility that came with remote work. So that people are saying, you know what, I really want to be able to take my kid to school and then work and then pick up my kid from school and then get them stationed in front of their homework or whatever and then go back to work. 
you can't do that in a conventional job that has you coming in at eight or nine and have you leaving at five or six. He says there's no evidence that remote work or work flexibility has affected employee productivity. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.